plans to uh, to be here for that once again as we do that on May the tenth. We're moving into our our series where we uh, we're calling Sabbath. We're talking about uh, the concept of Sabbath rather than being a day or a ritual. That Sabbath is more an idea, a concept, a space that God has created for us to connect with Him. A while back, U.S. News and World Report did a, a study, a report, and, and they said that Americans typically uh, spend our time in a number of ways. It, it was interesting to see how they marked uh, how a typical American will spend their time. For example, uh, during an average lifetime, the typical American will spend six months sitting at stoplights. The average American will spend eight months opening junk mail. That's not counting spam. The average American will spend one year looking for misplaced objects. I realize some of you that's longer. Uh, Two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. That's not successfully. That's just when we miss the call. Four years doing housework. Five years waiting in line. And six years eating. See, it's all about our time. How we spend our time, how our time is laid out. Studies show that, that 37% of Americans take fewer than seven days off a year. Uh, only 14% of those take vacation. And 20% who do take vacations stay in constant contact with our office. It's all about our time, how we manage our time, how we use our time. Wall Street Journal found that 40% of Americans said lack of time was a bigger problem for them than lack of of money. And that's not a new problem. Uh, Benjamin Franklin wrote, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for it is the stuff life is made of. Our struggle with time is even reflected in, in how we talk about it. We, we need more time uh, as if we could get it. We, we make time as if we actually had the power to create it. We steal time as if there's a, a cash somewhere that we can borrow from. We, we use our time. We spend our time as if it were a, a tangible commodity or a natural resource. The truth is, though, and while this thought may drive us mad, we have no control over time. The assumption we make is that time is fleeting and that we have to take hold of it. The, that space, that, that material plane that we live in here, that, that this is what seems permanent and real. But our perspective is upside down. See, time is sure. And, and space is what happens within time. Time is sure, and we have no control over that. Abraham Hessel writes, Space is exposed to our will. We may shape and change the things in space as we please. Time, however, is beyond our reach, beyond our powers. Time, that which is beyond space, is everlasting. It's, it's the world of space which is perishing. Things perish within time, but time itself remains unchanged. See, we speak of the flow or passage of time, but it's actually the flow or passage of our space through time. It's not time that dies. It's the human body which dies in time. That has led rabbis to call the Sabbath a sanctuary in time. A sanctuary. See, 
that the Sabbath exists in time, but it has its own cadence. It has its own rhythm. It has its own flow. It's, it's an ancient rhythm that's been beating since creation. And, and that rhythm is a reflection of the Creator. Go back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, you'll see a cadence that's happening in creation. That, that there's let there be, let there be, let the water, let the land, let there be, let us make. There's a cadence to this. There's a rhythm to this. That cadence is carried over into nature. We have day and night. We have, have sunrise and sunset. We have winter. We have summer. There is a rhythm. And that rhythm is reflected in patterns and in colors and in sequences and in sounds. And that rhythm is inherent to nature. And, and that rhythm is a reflection of our Creator. When we first see God in creation, He is at work. And out of all that's created, only mankind is given a job. Nothing else is given a task. Only man. See, we're created in God's image. We are created to be at work. Work is not a product of the fall. It's not a curse. Work is what we were created to do. But work within the rhythm of creation. Work, 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 then rest. Work's not evil. Work's not bad. It's not a punishment or a chore. It's part of our purpose. It's part of what we were made for. But there is a rhythm of work. There is a rhythm of work and rest. And in that rhythm, if we find that rhythm, our lives will flow much better than if we try to move outside of it. So how do we find this rhythm? Well, I think there are three things that I want us to look at this morning. Three aspects of this natural rhythm, of this natural Sabbath rhythm. And, and as we look at these, I think we'll start to see how to connect with that flow in our own lives. First, it's a rhythm of rest. See, God works for six days and then rests. Why? He wasn't tired. God didn't go take a nap. Isaiah says uh, in Isaiah 40, verse 28, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. So why does God take a rest? He's not tired. I don't think it was for him. I think it was for us. God's resting from creation is to teach us that as human beings created in the image of God, we too need to make time for rest and to purposely abstain from interfering with creation. Now see, we are created in the image of God. We have a need. We have a passion to create. We want to create. But that passion to create can become dangerous Especially for a society like ours that's, that's technological, a society that, that prides itself on our ability to create and, and manipulate and control the world around it. We, we have to learn to, to take time to slow down. There's a great story in, in Miss Letty Kalman's book, uh, Springs in the Valley. She talks about how on a safari in Africa, there was a, a traveler and, and he had uh, enlisted a bunch of locals to carry the supplies. And as they set off, they made great time the first day. They moved exceptionally fast, 
moved way further than the traveler had intended, and, and they made camp for the night. The next day they got up and, and thought, man, if we can keep that pace up, we're going to get there a day early. So they got up and they got ready to go, and the tribesmen refused to move. And they couldn't understand what's going on. Why won't these guys go? So they go and they talk to them and they ask these tribesmen why they're not moving. And their answer was that they had gone too fast the first day and they were waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. Now, that seems primitive. Miss Coleman concludes with this exhortation. The, the whirling, rushing life which so many of us live does for us what that first march did for those tribesmen. The difference is they knew what they needed to restore life's balance, and too often we do not. In the book of Exodus, we're going to read, God's going to say in Exodus 31, 17, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. So finding a rhythm of rest nourishes our soul. It also reflects our purpose and our Creator. Second, it, it's a rhythm of holy. A rhythm of holiness. A rhythm of holy. God doesn't merely rest that first Sabbath. He proclaims the first holy in the Bible. Nothing else. No animal, no constellation, no uh, great mountain, no waterfall, nothing that he has made is proclaimed holy. The first holy in the Bible is for that day of rest. Genesis 2 verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God sanctifies that seventh day. He sets it apart. He makes it holy. To find the Sabbath rhythm, to find the Sabbath rhythm of setting apart time, is, is to find the true meaning of holiness, to be set apart. See, Jesus lived that way. Jesus lived in a rhythm of the Sabbath. When we think of Jesus, we usually think of him as, as teaching and healing and doing and, and, and moving and going and doing all these things. But Jesus would just as often send people away. He would just as often disappear without warning. He would dismiss those in need or, or without excuse or explanation. He would retreat to a place of rest. Look at a few examples. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Luke 5 Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 1, verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. See, 
Jesus didn't always wait until everyone had been properly cared for. He didn't wait until everyone who sought him had been healed. He didn't ask permission to go and to get away. He, he didn't leave behind anyone on call. He just went. Most of the time, he didn't even let the disciples know where he was going. Because Jesus followed a different rhythm. A deeper rhythm. A, a rhythm of holiness. When the moment came for him to connect with God, for him to find that place of rest, he would stop. He'd simply stop. He'd retire to a quiet place and pray. Sometimes he'd take the disciples with him. He'd say, come away with me to a deserted place and pray. Or sometimes he wouldn't. He didn't wait until the work was completed. He, he invited them in the middle of all the busyness. Come with me and let's go and rest and pray. If you've been around HCOC very often, you've heard me say that prayer is the work of the church. And, and I've had a couple of people who questioned that and said, well, yeah, but, but that's great, but James says we should be doing something. And, and that's correct. I'm not arguing that point. However, when I'm doing things, I'm only able to do what Jeff can do. When I connect with the power of creation, when I am going to God in prayer, I am connecting to the creator of the world. And that's power that I don't have. And so, yes, doing things are important, but that's not the most important. The most important is for us to seek God. It's for us to seek God in prayer. When I seek God, when I set aside that space in time, when I walk away from doing the work of church, and welcome Sabbath, I'm keeping the day holy. See, the Jewish people refer to the Sabbath as the queen. And, and the, the sanctified term also carries a meaning of betrothal. And so th there's this idea of, of waiting and accepting the queen's arrival into your home. That, that, that to be betrothed to the queen, we are to prepare ourselves in our home for her arrival. And so as you enter a home prepared for the Sabbath, you'll find two candles, the, the candle for remembering and the candle for observing, for, for remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. Rabbi Abraham Heschel says, to call the Sabbath a bride is merely to allude to the fact that its spirit is a reality that we meet rather than an empty span of time which we choose to set aside for comfort or recuperation. We're not merely making time for rest. We're not taking a nap. See, God didn't stop to recharge His battery. God didn't stop to get powered up for His next job. God stopped to pause and enjoy the goodness of creation. When we receive the time, when we welcome the time, when we betroth ourselves, to the time we focus on God and we set aside that day to keep it holy. Finally, it's a rhythm of grace because ultimately the rest and the holiness of the Sabbath are a reflection of the gospel. In fact, I'd say that, that the gospel of God's grace is first reflected in Genesis. See, humanity was made on the sixth day of creation. And day seven was the day in which God, Adam, Eve, and the whole garden ceased from productivity and effort. Think about that. 
Adam and Eve's first full day of existence was a day of rest, not a day of work. We don't get how radical that idea was. In, in most every other ancient myth of creation, humans exist to serve the whims of the gods. Humans are created to be at work, to be doing the work that the gods put on them, but not our God. We serve the God that invented the weekend. Isn't that cool? We serve the God that invented the weekend. Can you imagine that first impression? Social scientists point out that we make up our minds about people in the first 100 milliseconds of our first meeting. First impressions always matter. Now imagine what Adam and Eve learned about God from that first impression of Him on their very first day. Their first knowledge of God and the word God had made, the world God had made, was that rest was not an afterthought. Rest was of first importance. Adam and Eve had done nothing to deserve a day off. To deserve a day of rest. They had not accomplished anything. Sabbath is the first image of the gospel in the biblical story. See, God's nature always gives rest first, and then work comes later. Karl Barth famously points out that the only thing Adam and Eve had to celebrate on that first Sabbath was God and His creation. He says that God rested on the seventh day and blessed and sanctified it, is the first divine action which man is privileged to witness. That he himself may keep the Sabbath with God, completely free from work, is the first word spoken to mankind, the first obligation laid on him. Humanity had nothing to celebrate except God and God's goodness. Work had not yet begun. The, the Sabbath teaches us, or should teach us, that we don't work to earn God's favor. We don't work to please God. We rest because God is already pleased with the work He accomplished in us. When we image God, when we live in the image of our Creator, we live in this rhythm. To live in a rhythm of work and rest, a rhythm of holiness and sanctification, a rhythm of grace. Because Sabbath is not simply some event that happens in time. It instead redefines the entire nature of time. And that rhythm is how we learn to dance with our Creator. When we find that rhythm of the Sabbath, that rhythm of rest, that rhythm of holiness, that rhythm of grace, we find the rhythm that is the music to our very souls. Sabbath baptizes our week into the grace and mercy of God. So, how are we welcoming Sabbath? How are we receiving the time? Are, are, are we creating a space to receive the time? Are we finding an opportunity to seek God and to live in that rhythm of work and rest, to live in that rhythm of holiness and sanctification, to live in that rhythm of grace. That's what we have to be about. We have to start carving out a space to receive the time. Now, to do that, that means we have to say no to some things. That means we're going to have to put some things aside. But that's about putting God first 
about putting God ahead of everything else and to follow the example of Jesus. To live in such a way that we connect to the rhythm of Sabbath. That we connect to the rhythm of rest. To find the music of our souls. Let's seek out that rhythm this week. Let's seek to connect with God in His time. Let's seek that Sabbath. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we praise you, God. We worship you. We thank you for the many gifts that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a gift of Sabbath. That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That, Lord, we just ask that you help us to find a way to welcome the time to welcome a time of rest and peace, a time of holiness, a 